I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Three young theologians by the ages of 12, 13, or maybe even 14 are walking down the street. To protect the identities of these three young boys who aren't so young anymore, I will only reference one of them by his initials, W.C. So there you go. Their identities are protected and you have no idea whatsoever who any of them might be. As W.C. and his two friends are walking down the street, they are deep in theological thought and discussion Their theological topic of choice, you might ask, sin, a good one. Now, this was before W.C., who, remember, you have no clue who that is. This was before he became an Episcopalian. So he did not have the luxury of the catechism in the prayer book to guide him. He did not have the luxury of knowing that sin is our separation from God, as the catechism states. Not having that luxury, W.C. was dangerously at the mercy of his two neighborhood friends to guide his thinking and help him form a theology of sin. So W.C. asked his two buddies, what is sin? Twenty seconds of silence ensues following the question. Each of the three boys are walking with their heads down, looking intensely at the street they walk on as they attempt to come up with an answer. W.C. has in his hands three or four small twigs that he is breaking apart and tossing to the side mindlessly while he walks and contemplates the question he has asked. Wherever the path took these three boys that day, wherever they were walking to, one could have traced their steps by following those small twigs left behind. Finally, one of the boys breaks the silence and thinks he has the answer. Very excitedly, he looks up at W.C. and the other boy and proudly states, I've got it. I've got it. I know what sin is. I know what sin is because I have heard my pastor say that sin is anything you wouldn't do in front of Jesus. The boys, all three of them, stop dead in their tracks and look at one another. This is a solid definition. It makes sense. Not only is it theological, but it is very practical. A sin is anything you wouldn't do in front of Jesus. Well, the other boy, who is known even to this day for his quick wit, retorts, well, I wouldn't go to the bathroom in front of Jesus, but I don't think that that is a sin. W.C. and his friends would have had a good laugh at that witty reply if only it hadn't left them disappointed because all three of them agreed they wouldn't go to the bathroom in front of Jesus. And this rendered that definition of sin null and void. Now, I do not recall, or rather W.C. could not recall what definition of sin he and his two friends came up with that day. Whatever their answer was, 
if there even was one, has long been forgotten. But W.C. does remember that question. What is a sin? And he remembers asking that question on that theological walk. The question, what is sin, is very similar to what the crowd, the answer that the crowd is seeking from Jesus in our gospel lesson today. But more specifically, the crowd wants to know if sin is related to judgment. Was it because these Galileans were sinners that they perished in this horrific way? This question and the theological notion that sin and judgment are directly related is not uncommon in this or any other part of human history. I remember being told that the name Katrina means cleansing. I do not know if this is true or not. I did not Google it because the answer does not change my theology on why certain things happen. But the theological premise conveyed or attempted to be conveyed by this person who expressed this is that Hurricane Katrina was nothing other than God's divine judgment or the cleansing for the sins of New Orleans. This is preposterous, of course, because hurricanes are formed by warm weather patterns off the coast, the west coast of Africa, not by the hand of the Almighty, and their paths are not predicated or drawn by the finger of God, but rather by two factors, environmental steering and beta drift, which are two terms that I did Google. And neither was it divine judgment when a white supremacist slaughtered nine African Americans following a Bible study that he was welcomed to with open and loving arms last summer. It was not divine judgment when those nine African Americans were slaughtered at Mother Emmanuel AME Church. And it was not divine judgment when Pilate slaughtered the Galileans who were also in a house of worship. But I can tell you what it was. It was evil and darkness. It was the work of two people living a life separated from God and separated from the innate good that we are all created to be. It was not divine judgment from God which caused the slaughter of those African Americans and those Galileans, but it was the work of Pilate and a white supremacist, both whose judgment was clouded and fogged by racism, a deep, dark hate that none of us Christians can tolerate or make peace with in this world. So what is the answer? Why do bad things happen? Why does evil and darkness exist? Where is God when bad things happen? Where was God when Pilate slaughtered the Galileans? Where was God when Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans and the Mississippi Gulf Coast? Where was God last summer when those nine saints at Mother Emmanuel Church were slaughtered? Jesus himself does not answer the question of theodicy. He does not answer why Pilate has cruelly exercised his power in this way by killing those Galileans who were merely praying to the God they serve. He also does not answer why those nine saints were killed at Mother Emmanuel Church who were doing the exact same thing. 
Since we have no answer from Jesus, our human instinct is to form an answer for ourselves. But I have tried that. I went to seminary for three years hoping to discover why bad things happen. Many theologians have written about it. I wrote a paper on it in my theology class and received a terrible grade. One of the worst grades I got in my three years at seminary, which was very telling to me. But now, I finally do have an answer. Throughout all my searching and wondering, I finally do have an answer, and I hope that it does not disappoint you all. Because my answer is that I have no answer. I have given up trying to explain why good people receive a cancer diagnosis. Why an expectant mother miscarries. Why a car wreck renders a person handicapped. Why some parents have to bury their children. Why natural disasters leave many homeless. Why mental illness leaves suicide the only option for those who take their own life. I have given up trying to explain why because it leaves me with no answer. So I take a different approach. I look for hope. This is the second time in Luke's gospel that Pontius Pilate is mentioned. He will be mentioned once more here in a few weeks. It is the next time we hear about Pilate. It is the next time he enters Luke's gospel story that the question of why bad things happen is addressed by Jesus because Jesus becomes the subject of it. Ian Markham, the dean of Virginia Theological Seminary, writes in his book, Understanding Christian Doctrine, that one of the reasons we believe in the Incarnation is because it allows us to cope with the question of theodicy. Our belief that Jesus Christ is God helps us cope with evil, darkness, and why bad things happen to good people. Because something really bad happened to Jesus. Wrapped in the Passion story, which we will read in a mere three weeks from now, wrapped in Holy Week, wrapped in Good Friday, wrapped in the cross, is a question of why bad things happen to good people. God came into this world, and to come into this world means to be subject to it. God knows human evil and darkness. God knows suffering, both physical and emotional, because God was subject to it in the person of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. So why do bad things happen? Why were those Galileans slaughtered? Why were they slaughtered by Pilate? We look to the cross for comfort because our God was also slaughtered by Pontius Pilate. So this is the approach I take. I cannot provide an explanation, but hopefully I can provide some comfort for myself and others by knowing that something bad happened to God in Jesus Christ. That God became subject to the evil darkness and the sins of our world. That God and Jesus Christ asked the same question of why bad things happen to good people when he cried out on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? But of course, we all know, as Paul Harvey once said, the rest of the story. 
We know what happened on that glorious and joy-filled third day. We know that God did not forsake Jesus in the midst of His questioning of why bad things happen to good people. We know that God did not forsake Jesus in the midst of evil, darkness, and the sins of our world. And let me tell you something, and if you never listen to me again, hear me now. Neither does God forsake us in the midst of ours. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.